Welcome to the Oilcast for March 4th, 2017 with your host, George Leopolis. It was the beginning of an eight-game homestand for the Oilers, and they beat the Detroit Red Wings 4-3. Today, I'll be talking about the great play by every forward line, David Dernay's first game in the Orange and Blue, the favorable schedule the Oilers have down the stretch, and I'm going to try to figure out why Pete Shirelli can't or won't pronounce any names right. But first... The Recap. On Connor McDavid's first shift of the game, he did what he and only he can do, turning a completely innocent-looking play into a partial breakaway and then somehow tucked it backhand far side on Peter Mrazek at breakneck speed. I've actually got some audio uh, of Peter Mrazek as Connor McDavid picked up the puck. Oh, no, it's Connor McDavid! Don't worry, Peter. It's, it's not just you. And then despite the Oilers' domination for most of the period, the next goal came off the stick of Anthony Manta. Uh, Oscar Kleffbaum misplayed a puck in the corner. It found the stick of Henrik Zetterberg, who fed Mantha in front of the net for the equalizer. Then in the final minute of the frame, David Dayarnay got his first point as an oiler. He won the offensive zone faceoff with his foot back to Adam Larson. Then Zach Cassian tipped Larson's wrister past Mrazek to give the Oilers the 2-1 lead heading into the second. The Oilers controlled the second period in a, fa- in a fashion similar to the first, but Peter Mrazek stood tall to keep this period scoreless. Shots were 27-13 after two in favor of the Oilers. And the Red Wings came out firing in the third, but Jordan Eberle scored the first goal of the period seven minutes in. He took the pass from Milan Lucic and scored his favorite way, backhand. But just a few minutes later, the Red Wings struck back. Darren Helm forced a turnover from Andre Sekera, then bolted for the stretch pass, took it, and went 5-0 on Cam Talbot. 3-2 for the Oilers with nine minutes left. But guess which line scored the insurance marker just three minutes later? That's right, obviously McDavid's line. After gaining the zone, it was dry saddle to McDavid, to dry saddle to Maroon, then back of the net. Dylan Larkin scored with the net empty for the Red Wings, but it was too little too late. 4-3 Oilers final. All right, that was a great way to kick off the homestand. I mean, ultimately, every two points is worth the same, but some games just feel better than others, and this is one of those games where it felt great. It didn't feel even like a 4-3 win for the Oilers. It felt like they really dominated it for 60 minutes, and it could have been a lot worse than a 4-3 score. The The first thing that I really liked from the game was just a great start in which they came out with. After having three days to rest, coming back for this homestand, uh, you see oftentimes that the the first game back from the homestand, it takes a little while to get it going, but the Oilers did not have that issue whatsoever. Obviously, it started with Connor McDavid, who on his first shift scored that unbelievable goal, just showing his speed. And, you know, don't need to don't need to jerk off talking about Connor McDavid anymore, but he he's just doing what he does. But the first, I would say, 12 or 13 minutes of the game, every shift, all four lines came out, and it was just domination every time. Uh, I believe the shots were 7 nothing at the 7.5-minute mark of the first period, obviously in favor of the Oilers. So, I mean, great to see that happening. And I kind of had that feeling that the Oilers were going to get that second goal somewhere between that 5-10-minute mark into the period. And had they gotten that, been up 2 nothing at home against the Detroit Red Wings team who's just coming off a back-to-back overtime game, um, you, you had that feeling like it could have just turned into a, a blowout easy win for the Oilers. Obviously, that's not what happened. They didn't get that second goal, and... Uh, the the Wings scored with a few minutes left in the first period, so they kind of had to gut it out a little bit more. But it was impressive to see that the game was setting up to be that way, and had they gotten another bounce, this, this could be looking at a cruising 4-1, 5-1 kind of game. Um, but I also wanted to just talk about how it wasn't 
it wasn't just the start and it wasn't just McDavid or his line. I, I thought that all four of the Oilers uh, forward lines played phenomenal in this game. Obviously, talked about the McDavid line. It was much more than just that first shift. It, it was one of those games where it felt like that line, it was disappointing that they only had two points and they could have been way more than that. But you look at the second line and I was really impressed with all three players, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Jordan Eberle and Milan Lucic thought they all played their games um, to their strengths. Jordan Eberle was great with the puck on his stick in terms of being dangerous. Um, he got the goal, obviously, but even outside of that, he looked very dangerous with the puck. Ryan Nugent Hopkins was great in the neutral zone, I found, offensively and defensively. Forced a couple of turnovers, and when he was starting the rush every time, looked very dangerous. Found the man that he needed to find each time. And then Milan Lucic really asserted himself physically. <laughs> if you haven't seen the game, you probably won't be able to find a replay of this. But if you did see the game, you probably remember uh, the, just in the, like the last minute of the game as as Larkin came in and what could have been called, I guess, an uh, interference on Lucic, but really shouldn't have been. Uh, he they ran into each other and Larkin just went flying into the boards. So I don't know. I just saw how big Lucic really is when when you just send a guy flying like that. But then the third line and fourth line was actually where I was really, really impressed. Uh, the fourth line, not so much just because they were impressive this game, but how they've been continually every game, it seems like the fourth line, we, we get a really good 10 or 12 minutes from them. Um, and I, I mean, Matt Hendricks has just been playing way better than I thought he was capable of at his age. I've uh, been doing it for game after game after game. And we saw, we saw near the end of the first period, he absolutely laid out Ryan Sproul into his own bench. That was one of the great hits we'll see all season from any team. Um, JJ Kara has been looking great. He did miss a, a, a good opportunity to score. Uh, and he, he kind of, he, he kind of overplays his hand sometimes in terms of trying to dangling at the zone. And, and I thought he tried two moves, uh, the offensive blue lines that just did not work and that's not his game but if he sticks to what he's good at he's he's showing he can do very good with that and Mark Letestu uh he I think he's been one of the unsung heroes for the Oilers in the sense that the role he's been playing on this fourth line he's looked very good in terms of always whoever's wingers are they're able to generate some offense because Mark Letestu's got enough skill from that fourth line center position to to set them up and create offensive zone opportunities uh, you also, of course, have to look at the fact that he's been a great penalty killer and even contributed on the power play. But part of the reason why I, at the time, uh, when we traded for David DeArnay, I was a little disappointed was because I didn't feel like he was that much of an upgraded to Mark Letestu in terms of going for the third line. I was hoping that if the Oilers traded for a centerman, it'd be someone who would for sure slot into that third line role and not really leave that up for debate anymore, allowing Mark Letestu to play on the fourth line. Because... I just think that Mark Letestu has been such a good fit on that fourth line because we're not expecting him to score 40 points this year. That's not an expectation we have. And he's able to continually, like I said, generate some offense from that fourth line while also allowing his main priorities to be winning some face-offs and being on that uh, on the special teams both ways. So I was a little hesitant about this DNA move and still am, I'd say, but I have to jump into that third line right now because I was really impressed with what I saw. Um, first, I just want to play a quick clip from Pete Chiarelli on the acquisition of DeArnay and what he thinks of him. And we traded him for David DeArnay, uh, a more veteran player, uh, has playoff experience, uh, pretty good success in the draw, not this year, but he, he has had good success uh, on the faceoffs. Um, a lot of playoff experience. Uh, I've, I've seen a lot of him in the East. 
So, I mean, that, that just kind of sums up what you're looking for from David Darnay. He's got some offensive abilities, but he's hopefully going to be better in the face-off circle than he's been all year just to improve that aspect of our team. And, of course, you just you, you bring in another guy who's got playoff experience because we are lacking in those, despite the fact that we're going to be hopefully heading to the playoffs in the next 20 games. Um, but looking at the setup, what they had today, which is kind of what we all should have expected, was him between Drake Kajula and Zach Cassian, who I think as a pairing of wingers have looked pretty good in complementing each other with their with their different games. But the chemistry was immediate and obvious between those three when they came out this, uh, this game. It was, I mean, chances were coming all the time. The way that they found each other... I, I would I would say both in the neutral zone and the offensive zone that seemed like they were they were filling their gaps perfectly going exactly where the other one expected them to be uh, and it and it did a very good job in the offensive zone of finding each other for for open shot opportunities there definitely could have been a couple of points there uh, a couple of goals scored I should say by that by that line and then even just looking at uh, David Darnay in terms of the 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 one point he got in the first period I mean. I don't want to say that it was a great play because it wasn't, but I I feel like it, it's kind of a microcosm of what we'd like to see from him in the sense that uh, instead of losing a face-off like we normally would have in that situation, he got his stick tied up and kicked it back to the point for Larson, who then fired in front of the net where Zach Cassian was doing a great job of screening the goaltender and apparently did get a tip on it, although we couldn't tell for a while, and getting that goal. So it just, from that third line, just... You wanted to see a, you want to see goals just like that. Uh, Darren A going the extra mile to win the faceoff. Zach Cassian playing playing his role and getting in front of the net and it resulting in a goal. So uh, I don't want to overreact completely, but I maybe I'm a little overreacting because I was really happy with what I saw from that line. And the other aspect of that is Drake Kajula because I've talked relentlessly about how I really like what I see with him in terms of what how many opportunities he's, he gets every game. It seems like he's generating chances. He's getting in front of the net. He's getting grade A opportunities. It's just that he's not finishing. And I mean, you can look at, at that two ways. You can look at it and say, well, if this guy has no finish, what, what value is he going to have as a winger who's supposed to score? But I kind of look at it and say, he's a young kid who was so used to scoring a ton in college and was just playing with the utmost confidence with the puck on his stick. And now you've got him, Obviously not 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 scoring as much. Um, Todd McClellan's kind of, I would say, kind of called him out a little bit for his lack of scoring. But I just have to think that at some point it's going to come because I, I see so much from his game and so, so many chances created uh, that even though they haven't come yet, they will. And I, I'm just being hopeful here, I guess. I, honestly, just being hopeful. When I look at David Darnay, see what they've kind of produced just together in this one game so far, and hope that maybe he can be the guy that sparks Kajula uh, to finally find that goal-scoring part of his game. And so that's just something we can look forward to and, and, and hope for going forward. Now, I want to play the clip, just a part of the clip, quickly from uh, from Pete Chiarelli and what he said about David DeHarnay. We traded him for David DeHarnay. Uh... Honestly, I can't get over the fact that Pete Chiarelli pronounces seemingly every name wrong like look back on when he drafted uh Jesse Puliyarvi with the fourth pick and with the fourth selection in the 2016 entry draft from Karpat in Finland Jesse Puliyarvi I mean he's in front of millions of people I mean maybe not that many but there were a lot of people watching and he's 
at the NHL NG draft going with the fourth overall pick, a guy who's been, he's been scouting, obviously, been hearing people talk about, and calls him Jesse Puljajarvi instead of Jesse Puljajarvi. It's unbelievable. But the reason that I've always kind of been on this train was growing up, my uncle, who's a diehard Bruins fan, always called Lucic Lucic. And it bothered me to no end because as a Vancouver Giants fan and just a fan of guys like Lucic in general, I always loved watching him play. And and I couldn't believe my uncle, who was the supporter of his team, called him Lucic. And then finally, as I, I, after we get Chirelli and he signs Lucic, I hear him calling him Lucic and understand that that's why my uncle was calling him Lucic for all this time. So going forward, all I hope every time that we draft a player or sign a player is that he's got a crazy Finnish, Swedish, or something name. And I just want to look forward to seeing how Shirelli butchers it each time. So from now on, we'll be on Shirelli Watch whenever we sign or draft anybody. Okay, so now the business of the game is over. Uh, Again, just pretty much looking at positives from this game. It was a great performance all in all. But going forward... It's time to look at the schedule and the very favorable schedule that the Oilers have to end the season. Uh, they play 13 of their last 18 games at home, including obviously eight in a row with the game today, 11 of 13 in the month of March, and 12 of 14 overall. It's not just that, though. Obviously, having a bunch of games at home is great, but the Oilers have been lamenting so much how many games they've had to play. And they've always, they always, if you look at the standings, seem to have played one, two or three more games than every other team. But eventually that's got to work out well. And that's coming up now because if you look at the rest of the season of the 18 games are now 17, they only have two back to backs. And one of them is the last two games of the season is with a home and home against Vancouver. So you don't really even count that. And otherwise it's just one back-to-back the rest of the year with the second night of that back-to-back being a game against Colorado, which obviously is best-case scenario. So you're just looking at it, and everything's set up for the Oilers to do all the damage they want to do. The first first thing is first, obviously, is that we got to win enough games to ensure that we don't get caught for the final playoff spot or even by Calgary for the third spot in the division. But we've We've got an opportunity here. Take advantage of these home games. Uh, these last, these next like 14 games or 13 games, I should say now. Win a bunch of them. Win 9, 10 of these games. And really battle San Jose, hopefully even for that first spot. Uh, I mean, not not to say that we're not going to blow this and, and, and end up poorly. But everything is set up for us to do what we need to do. And also, the next 7 games are against teams that have no bearing on the playoff picture. 5 against the East and then the Canucks and Stars. So you can take advantage of those games because afterwards it seems like almost everything is a big divisional game. There's three against the, uh, the, the Kings, two against the Ducks, and then two against the Sharks right near the end of the season. So we've got to put ourselves in the best possible position right as we get into that final stretch of important games. And now for some hashtag Oilers reading your tweets. So from Tumbleweed at JWC Dreamshaper, Watch that Connor McDavid goal in VR. That was all kinds of cool. Hearing the fans roar was amazing. How about that, eh? Were the Oilers, I mean, just in general, the fact that Sportsnet is bringing in uh, virtual reality to to the ability to watch hockey is unbelievable. I've never even done virtual reality glasses myself, but everyone says they're awesome, and everything seems like it's pointing in the direction of that becoming a more more of a mainstay just in terms of being in everyone's house. So, 
it's just so cool to uh, to think that the Oilers are playing in VR, and soon enough, hopefully, we'll all be able to watch some games in VR. Um, next generation, right? Then this tweet came right after McDavid got kicked out of a faceoff from at Darth Vanderland. That's why our faceoff percentage is so bad! Exclamation point. Every time we deem uh, we win it, the ref deems it unfair. Hashtag Oilers. Alrighty there, Donald Trump. Let's relax with the conspiracy theories. It's not the ref. It's not the ref's fault. We suck at faceoffs. It's ours. And to be honest, probably also the fact that most of our centers are under the age of 25 and haven't developed that part of the game, which seems to obviously benefit older players. Then from at BPC, David Dayarnay reminds me of Theo Fleury. I am no longer worried about being uh, one of the one that's overreacting to David Dayarnay's first game. Let's relax there, Brian. David Dayarnay is not Theo Fleury. Um, and the last thing I wanted to mention, which doesn't really have any relevance on the game, but is part of the reason why I love hockey, is towards the end of the first period, uh, Coach Jeff Blashill of the Detroit Red Wings took a puck right to look like it was the top of, top left part of his eye, and it, it looked pretty rough. The blood was coming out, stitches were definitely needed, but he stayed out there the rest of the first period, got his stitches, and took it like a man. And all I want to do is point out that that's why hockey is great and it's better than soccer and basketball where the players are babies. And even though I've never more excited for anything other than March Madness coming up, there's a difference between basketball and hockey. And it's that one of them has players who all play with toughness and grit and are expected to battle through injuries and the other one isn't. I'll get off my soapbox now, but I just had to say my piece. And that'll pretty much do it for the oil cast today. Uh, the next game comes on Tuesday, again at home against the Islanders. That is a 7 p.m. Mountain Time puck drop. So I will talk to you then.